1: in 2009 director quentin tarantino wrote and directed a movie that literally changed the course of world history in 2019
0: jim beam gives us a small batch bourbon that tries to change the course of bourbon history the film is inglorious bastards the whiskey is basil hayden and we'll review them both this is the the film and Whiskey whiskey podcast Welcome to the Film and Whiskey Podcast, where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. I'm Bob Book. I'm Reggie, And he is... Jordan McCain. Jordan McCain. Welcome back to the show, man. Thank you very much. Your debut two weeks ago has been met with glowing praise. I doubt that. Well, me too. But you're back. This week we're looking... <laughs> <laughs> and this week we are looking at the 2009 film, Inglorious Bastards. Gentlemen, had you seen Inglorious Bastards prior to this watch? I
2: actually started watching it in college and quit when they started scalping people. Decided it wasn't so like,
0: a movie for like me. like, 15 minutes in. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Pretty
2: cool. much right after the
1: opening scene,
0: Yeah, he left. He's gone. So, yeah. he, he had seen, like, 1 20th of this film. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had seen it before. My dad and I watched it probably in about 2009 or 10, uh-huh. whenever it had first came out on DVD. Um so yeah, I'd seen it before, and I remember my the only overarching feeling I remember from it was that it was kind of boring. Ooh. that like kinda kinda long.
0: Shots fired. It's very yeah.
1: goodfellas esque. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every Jordan, long movie. you is really just be put it ball. very well that it's very goodfellas esque. You know what's really
0: I think that's actually a really good point because I found this movie to be really episodic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Tarantino's known for having chapters in right. his movies. But never had I seen a movie that Tarantino had done where characters are like completely confined to the chapter that they're in oh, that and they don't impact yeah. the rest of the movie at all. Yeah. And I, I thought it I really struggled watching this movie all the way through as like one narrative. And yeah. obviously they influence each other. But yeah, guys, I think I might be with you on this movie and we'll save our, most of our criticism for the end. Yeah. But um not my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Oof. Yeah. More
2: shots fired. Now, have you guys seen any other Tarantino? I've seen Django Unchained and Kill Bill 1. Okay. I have seen
1: the first half of Pulp Fiction. And Why do you guys turn movies off so many? The first half. I'm telling well, you. Well, you see, in the movie Pulp Fiction, bad things happen. That's true. That's pretty much the tagline for every Tarantino film. <laughs> bad things happen. Yeah. So, long story short, I've seen that and I've seen Django Unchained. Yeah. Loved Django Unchained. It was good. Um, and I liked what I saw mostly of Pulp Fiction. Now,
0: I will give my hot take because I've told you guys this before and, and most people that know me know this about me. Right. I think Django Unchained is the best movie Quentin Tarantino has ever made. Sure. I think it's better than Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the very small minority saying that. But because Inglourious Bastards and Django came out back to back in his catalog. Right. I'm going to be comparing them a lot okay. because I think everything he does in Django – Hits the nail on the head. And very little of what he does in *Inglorious Bastards works for me.
2: Huh. Well, it seems like I was looking at his film catalog mm-hmm. as well, and it seems like whatever kind of style he's attempting to create, it he uses a lot of it from *Inglorious Bastards to Django, including a lot of the same actors, kind sure, of like what sure. Christopher Nolan started doing, using the same people over and over again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then a
2: lot of them are in the Hateful Eight as well, right? Right, it's a lot right. of the same people. So it could just be the beginning of he kind of found his niche and really wants to move with it. Right. I don't think it's unfair to compare them. So let's
0: talk a little bit about Tarantino, the filmmaker here, Um, because at this point he had made, I don't know, six movies, something like that. Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, both of the Kill Bills. Um, And then if you want to count Death Proof from the Grindhouse movie, you can count that too. And, And so he's a seasoned vet. One of the most acclaimed directors in Hollywood, one of the most controversial directors in Hollywood. Oh, for sure. I think he bit off more than he could chew with this movie. I think the subject matter requires a level of sensitivity that he does not have. And I'm not saying you have to, like, sanitize your film because Django wasn't like that. Right. But when you're doing a movie about World War II and the Holocaust. Yeah. And, you know, Jewish vengeance and things like that. It's a little too flippant for me. It's a little too, like, it it doesn't take the subject matter seriously, and it seemed like he just used it as an excuse to get kind of his more perverse and nihilistic worldview out there.
2: Okay, I'm so glad you're saying this, because I really struggled with how he handles something like, I didn't struggle with it as much as how he handles racism in Django, but I did struggle with how he deals with the Third Reich and with the Holocaust, because- I don't mind him creating a parody, which has always been used to combat a prejudice or to combat some kind of regime. Mm -hmm. Parody often works for that. It's often one of the most thoughtful ways. But when does a parody become insincere and no longer take the subject matter it's trying to parody seriously?
0: Yeah. And I think part of what he does with the movie, too, and obviously, guys, if you've listened to the podcast, you know we're getting into spoilers, but the character of the bear Jew is yeah. one of the most problematic characters I think Tarantino's ever written because yeah. that is a character that is so motivated and fueled by hatred. Yes. Yeah. And it's justified hatred. Right. Don't get me wrong. The not Everything that happens to the Nazis in this movie is deserved. Well deserved. Right. But he sinks to depths as a character that morally make him no better than the people that he's – murdering at the end of the film there there's something about the ending of this movie that is just disturbing to me really unsettling and and when they're in that theater and they're gunning down the people in that theater they cut to this close-up of the bear jew you know donnie with this machine gun and it's this look of just pure vengeance and hatred and It, it the film does a good job at making me struggle with these things, but I'm not sure that Quentin Tarantino is a sophisticated enough writer and director that he intended that to be the case. Mm-hmm. I think he really got caught up in it would be cool to see a revenge fantasy. Yeah, yeah. here's how I'm going to play it out. And some of the finer points of like the morality of this movie get get lost in the mix for me.
1: Yeah.
0: We will be cruel to the Germans. And through our cruelty, they will know who we are. And they will find the evidence of our cruelty in the disemboweled, dismembered, and disfigured bodies of their brothers we leave behind us. And the German won't be able to help themselves. But imagine the cruelty their brothers endured at our hands, and our boot heels, and the edge of our knives. And the German will be sickened by us. And the German will talk about us. And the German will fear us. The German closes their eyes at night and they're tortured by their subconscious for the evil they have done. It will be with thoughts of us that they are tortured with. Sound good? Yes, sir. That's what I like to hear. All right. So we'll get into a little bit more of Tarantino as a writer director in a little bit. But guys, I want to hear your thoughts on the acting in this movie, because this is one of the bigger ensembles Tarantino had ever directed to this point. And I think across the board. The performances are really great. Yeah, it's
2: out of this world. Yeah. Totally.
0: So if you had to pick number one performance in the movie, who would you highlight? Christoph Waltz. Christoph yeah. Waltz, for sure. Yeah. Uh, He's not my
2: favorite. Brad Pitt's my favorite. Yes. But he didn't do the best. It's easily <laughs> Christoph Waltz. Yeah.
0: Brad Pitt is so
1: interesting to me in this movie
2: because it's like, is
0: he really bad or is he really, really good? I don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah. I, he just... I feel like Brad Pitt has taken this weird turn in his career where he just kind of takes on these weird projects. I love it. Yeah. And does weird roles. And he's great at them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So getting back to Christoph Waltz then.
0: Of course. What is it about that performance?
1: It's his sincerity. Yeah. It's the way that he is terrifying because he's so assured of his own power. Yeah. Of... He's so assured of the outcome that will happen in any given situation that the only time in the entire movie you see him off kilter Mm -hmm. is when he realizes that Brad Pitt isn't going to do what he thought he was going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other than that, he knows exactly what's going to happen all the time. Yeah. And he just he controls every scene he's in. The thing that makes him such a great villain is that he's not like
0: the mustache twisting guy like he's not you know man i'm gonna take all your money see like he's not that guy (laughs) but you know the word that kept popping in my mind and this can be really silly but i kept thinking of impish yeah he's like a little happy elf half the he's he's so is he kind of like playful like a loki kind of he's like playful and cunning Mm -hmm. and you go along with his sort of flights of fancy, but you know that underneath it, there's this current of intimidation. Yeah. You know, that whole opening sequence, which I'm sure we're going to get into. I think that's the best part of the whole film. Yeah. Agreed. And he's sitting at the table of this guy, Lapidite, and just all sorts of charm. And yeah. then you get the comic relief of, can I smoke my pipe? And he pulls his yeah. pipe and it's like comically it's large. Yeah. yeah. But he's he's able to convince you from moment to moment that he is smarter than everyone in the room. That he's calculating. Right. But that he's also capable of doing unspeakable things.
2: It's so well written. Yeah, he's so well written. If you – Tarantino wrote this script and I was kind of like doing some research on the film. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how he's actually had this script with him or like close to his chest for about eight or nine years. And he honestly thought it couldn't be made because he did not think anyone could play that character. Yeah. Uh, until Christoph Waltz auditioned for it, and then he, that that was basically his own green light. Sure. And I, yeah, I can't imagine anyone else being so earnest and sincere and yeah. freaking creepy the whole time. And so the scary. amount, uh,
0: like, as an actor too, he speaks four languages in this film.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. And flawlessly. Sure. And he, and he does it amazingly. He, yeah, Christoph Waltz's performance just. I would truly say is one of the best performances in any film I've ever seen. It's it's great. And yeah. it was totally deserving of the Oscar. Yeah. That he won. <laughs> I feel like we need to point that
0: out. You know yes. who
2: it's similar to, who reminds me of the tension I felt? Did you guys see Baby Driver? Yeah. yeah. Jamie oh, Foxx's character in Baby oh, Driver interesting. made huh. me feel the same way because even though you knew he was evil... He was really earnest and like smiled a lot. But every time I felt like he he was more
0: overtly threatening. For
2: sure he was. Yeah. Every time he walked on screen, you were terrified. Yeah. But that's how I felt every time this guy walked on screen. I was like, oh frick, something's gonna happen. It was
1: interesting. You know who I would actually think about him being a comparison to is Sherlock Holmes. Hmm. Yeah. Well and he says at the end of the movie, I'm a detective.
0: Yeah. And I'm a good one. yeah. The only other person that I made note of, which is saying something Mm because I only made note of two, uh, it was the character of Shoshana. Oh, my gosh. And it's because they only she's the only other one in the movie that they really give an arc to. Yeah. And they give her uh, an opportunity to kind of shed a tear at one point. You see her being you know paralyzed with fear when she's met with Hans Landa in that restaurant scene.
1: Um, (laughs) What do you guys think of Shoshana? So I I think that the movie would have been better served if the Inglorious Bastards weren't even a part of it. I completely agree with that. If the movie was a movie about Shoshana. <laughs> yes. And Lieutenant Landa. Yes. It would be one of the best movies the ever. The Bastards
0: serve no narrative purpose yeah. in this movie. And it bothers me every time I watch it because you see the opening with Shoshana. It fades out. It comes in on the Bastards. Yep. And, you know, you think you're going to see them invade and, and go on. And the next time you see them, they're already in Europe. They've already made a name for themselves. They've attacked this, you know, uh, right. these German troops. Right. And they really just kind of float in and out of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, if you know the end of the movie where the theater blows up and everything else, it's, it's a thing that Tarantino's guilty of in a lot of ways, but it's overkill. Yeah. yeah. Because Shoshana would have done it anyway. Yeah. So yeah. the bastards really serve no purpose to this film. And
1: it, it I'm I'm so happy you pointed it out. Yeah, it yeah, it, it drove me nuts. I literally realized it because I thought about it and I was like, obviously the bar scene lasts for about 20 to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And obviously the bastards are kind of in that scene, but even that, it's the British Secret Service agent right. and two of the bastards that aren't really a part of the conversation. Right. And So when you really think about it, the bastards are barely in the movie. They are. And you don't learn anything about them through the whole movie. Yeah. The only thing you learn is when
0: like Samuel L. Jackson comes in with random narration to kind of fill things in. (laughs) And I think this speaks a lot to Tarantino's writing. Yeah. Because it said, you know, he has come out and said it took him a decade to write this movie. And I wonder sometimes where that effort was spent. Because in my opinion, this is Tarantino's worst script that he's yeah. ever penned. There's no character development. And the ones that get developed are the ones that die off too early. Yeah. So like you, you see uh Hickox, the British guy, right. who's you're introduced to him in this big scene with Churchill. Right. And then the next time you see him, he's going into this bar to rendezvous and then he's dead. Yeah. yeah. And he serves no purpose to the film. And you literally spent a half hour, of the film getting to know him only to watch him die and not have any impact on the outcome of the movie.
2: The scene ends up the only character that goes on is the actress. Right. And then she gets choked out. Horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Ten minutes later, which is super intense. Oh my
0: <laughs> Part of the problem that I have with it, and we've already mentioned that the bastards just kind of come in and out of the movie. Um, the character that B.J. Novak plays, Udovich. Yeah. You don't hear his name spoken on screen until Brad Pitt is captured put in the back of the truck with a bag on his head and he goes yudovich right and then he says yeah it's me so you literally you go two plus hours of this film without even knowing that character's name and then he's one of the only two that survive at the end
2: does he have any lines aside from saying sir yes sir at the beginning i guess he has a couple towards the end oh, and, yeah, and again
1: it. like there's no character development and that was honestly hard for me having watched the office
2: <laughs> yeah really
1: the character of ryan because j- people like it was just ryan standing right. there and i hated him
0: instantly <laughs> you know and and what tarantino does with kind of killing these characters off prematurely i understand that he wants to keep us on our toes yeah it comes across to me as too showy that he's trying to show off and by the end of it he's killed off so many crucial characters that he doesn't quite know how to land the plane yeah and it really pulled me out of the movie. Because the only characters that I was emotionally invested in are not the ones I'm watching towards the end.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd agree with that because Lambda, Lando, or Lando. Lando, this is not Calvary. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Aldo, D, Billy D. Williams, Aldo Rain. No, uh, Lieutenant Landa. And oh, Landa. Shoshana yeah, yeah, yeah. Are the only two I really care about, and they're there at the end of the sure. movie. So well, to me, I, I, f- I personally feel like those character arcs mattered. You could have just cut out the other character arcs, even the British guy. Right. Eh, he was
2: okay. You could have done something with him, but... Yeah. I personally was really attached to Mike Myers for the 10 <laughs> seconds that he was on screen <laughs> Wasn't briefing. he great? Yeah, that was... I was, <laughs> Brad and I both go, is that Mike Myers? Oh, yeah. and it sure was. <laughs> but I think this is
0: Tarantino as a screenwriter, like at his most showy. Like, yeah. he's, oh, I can write in four different languages. And, right. <laughs> and I can make these scenes that go on way too long. The The sequence in the bar... It's very suspenseful, yes. but it goes in waves because right. you, you have the one table that finishes a whole game of the, c- right. the card game and then you're like, OK, let's get into this. Yeah. And then the other table starts playing a card game and right. it's just like he's delaying what needs to happen. And some of it's suspenseful and some of it is just, OK, you could have cut a few yeah. pages out of this script.
1: Well, we were watching an interview with Tarantino talking. I don't know if it was about specifically that scene, but he basically said that for true suspense and drama to happen, it's almost like you're stretching a rubber band. Have You ever heard this analogy? Mm -mm. And he basically says you're just you're stretching the rubber band and you keep stretching and stretching and stretching. And you might seem like you're going to get relief at certain points where you're going to get away with stretching the rubber band even further. But eventually the rubber band has to snap. Mm. And that's the moment that we're all waiting for. Yeah. He said my and he literally said my goal as a director is to try to stretch that rubber band further than anybody else could ever stretch.
0: And I think that that backfired here. Yeah. That's just my opinion on that. But, you know, so much of the dialogue, too, is centered around politeness and niceties. Right. Like you've got. People asking permit, you know, Hans Landa is always saying, is
1: it OK if I do this? Is, may may and, I speak in English, please?
0: And I understand why he's doing it. But after the fifth time it happens, it's like we need exposition. We need dialogue that moves this plot forward. And I can't spend another five minutes listening to him ask, you know, if it's OK to take his shoes off.
1: You know what I mean? See, yeah. I enjoyed that every single time Lieutenant Landa did it. I forgive it because it's Christoph yeah. Waltz and, and he can do it really everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And that's. And I guess that's where I go back to. And when you said it took him a decade to write this, to me, it felt like he just got lost in the weeds. Yeah. And maybe he initially had something better planned for the bastard unit, Mm -hmm. but it just kind of got lost and didn't translate well. Whereas to me, Landa and Shoshana and her relationship with the um, gentleman at the movie theater, I thought brought a lot of depth to the movie. Yep. Um It really was
2: just the bastards, which is funny because that's what that's the the title of the film. Sure, yeah, it's a struggle. I think my struggle with Shoshana's narrative is that you view most of it through the lens of her being pursued by the German officer instead of her being able to tell her story in her own way. She kind of does when she finally decides she's going to blow up the movie theater, but Mm -hmm. every inciting incident and maybe that's like I do think what Quentin Tarantino does super well. Is that he demonstrates how much power the Third Reich had because no matter what they were doing, anyone who was part of it was able to go anywhere they wanted. They felt completely at ease in every situation. They never had to worry about being nervous or that things were weird, that anybody was going to attack them like every other character literally did, right? Because they have no power. Yeah. And so maybe that's how he just wants to further demonstrate how that power is exercised through, I can't remember the, the guy who pursues her, the German officer.
0: Uh oh uh, daniel Bruhl plays him but i can't yeah. think of his name off the top of my head right. and I it's thought, the sniper
2: yeah i thought he was pretty good um but i would have liked i don't know i don't feel like she was characterized as well on her own as she was just through the lens of her being pursued and keep saying no over and over yeah. again. and then she yeah. finally gets the chance to like vengefully kill all the nazis and right I'm like oh that's that's fun good yeah that scene
1: though, when her face is on the movie screen, oh my gosh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> man, that
2: and
0: that go, plays into the disturbing nature of it for me. Like, yeah. if there's something unsettling about that, yes. and it's not, it's not cathartic. You spend the whole movie like, yeah, these guys are going to get their comeuppance, and then I yeah. think to see it happen, and it's it's not really scored to any music, yeah, and. It's destructive. And I think maybe that is something Tarantino's trying to show on
1: purpose. And I'll give him credit for it if that's the case. But man, that scene
0: just yeah. did a number on me.
1: Well, I this might not be the best thing to bring up, but I hadn't even thought about her being Jewish and she dies. And her final image in the movie is her on fire.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Holocaust imagery again, yeah. but. But then you get right back into, like, is Tarantino being too playful with a really sensitive
1: topic? And that brings me back to. Well, I guess maybe I think about it, though, and I look at Aldo Rain, who is the most ridiculous character Uh in the movie. But in the end, what his ultimate goal is to make sure that nobody forgets the Third Reich. Sure. Nazis for what it is. Yeah. And I I think maybe that's maybe this is Tarantino's movie trying to say and he might not do it well, like we've said. But maybe this is his movie trying to say, hey, don't forget what the Third Reich had done. That's a fair point. If a rat were to walk in here right now as I'm talking,
2: would you greet it with a source of your delicious milk?
1: Probably not. I didn't think so. You don't like them. You don't really know why you don't like them. All you know is you find them repulsive. Consequently, a German soldier conducts a search of a house suspected of hiding Jews. Where does the hawk look? He looks in the barn, he looks in the attic, he looks in a cellar, he looks everywhere. He would hide,
2: but there's so many places it
1: wouldn't have occurred to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the has brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow
2: country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware of what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity.
0: I do think that Tarantino in this movie is just a little bit too nihilistic. I don't think there's a lot of hope in this movie. And I think that if you watch Tarantino's movies, he kind of goes back and forth between like really hopeless right. nihilistic movies and really redemptive movies. Yeah. So like Reservoir Dogs, Everyone Dies, Nihilistic. Pulp Fiction, super redemptive movie. You watch the character, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Jules, become redeemed out of that lifestyle. Right. Mm. You know, with Inglorious Bastards, you see this nihilistic, everyone dies, there's no meaning to any of it. And then you get Django, which is the story of a liberation of a slave. Right. Sure. And, and that's part of what I hated about hateful aid as well is that his outlook on race relations in that movie is that they're all a facade we should all just race relations are all facade. race that's my interpretation of okay. hateful aid and we don't need to get into that today but sure. i really think that tarantino like goes back and forth and vacillates between having films where there's something redemptive happening and having films where there is no redemption right yeah. and i think he's at his best as a filmmaker when he allows the redemptive elements to kind of come through
2: yeah yeah it's It's difficult for me, especially when we compare it to a sophisticated movie that I feel like handles the atrocities of the Holocaust really well. Like, one of my favorites is Schindler's List. Oh, sure. I watch it once a year. And I don't know, if you sat down, this this might sound really gross, but if you sat down and said, which of these movies is more cathartic? Like, which do you feel like glorifies the experience and which one do you really feel like portrays it well? I would just, I guess I would personally have a hard time believing that the image of vengeance that inglorious bastards portrays versus the the image of a person personally putting up their life at stake to help people yeah. on a one to one basis i don't know you know what i mean yeah, and, and I,
0: I do feel like we need to say it's not tarantino's job to right. make that kind of That's movie fair. he doesn't That's have fair. to right. um but it does make me question why does this movie exist why does this need to be made? Yeah, and I think there's value in a lot of what he does. I think that you know that opening farm sequence is my favorite scene in the whole film. It's incredible.
1: That I think that might be my favorite Tarantino. Yeah, film it, scene. If, ever. if you want to talk about suspense, yeah, that scene does it for totally. me. Do you guys have any other scenes that you would like to call out as you know just absolutely stellar? The scene when Shoshana and Christoph Waltz are in the the eating restaurant. pastries and yeah. Which falls along the same lines as him and La Petite. Sure, sure. I, I really enjoy that scene a lot. Yeah, I do think the bar sequence
0: is not—it's not my favorite scene, but I think it—it's like the microcosm scene I would point out because yeah. everything that works in that movie is there, and everything that bothers me. Yeah, it, it goes on too long. Tarantino is being like way too self-indulgent. Right, and then the climax of it—you know, when the rubber band finally snaps. I feel like it was filmed in such a way that it's incoherent. I can't tell who's shooting who. And it just it wasn't a satisfying scene for me.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny that bringing up those two scenes next to each other in my brain, there's almost a disconnect, which further goes to reinforce. What we talked about before. It feels like there's two separate movies being filmed. Yeah. And it's not a good thing. No, it, it really doesn't <laughs> completely agree. And it may have been better for him to make a separate movie about
0: the bastards. Yeah. Even if you see characters kind of weaving in and out from the other movie, but Shoshana's tale is the heart and soul of this movie. And I feel like including the bastards distracts from that.
1: You know what I would call the movie about Shoshana?
2: Au revoir, Shoshana!
0: (laughs) Be a great title for a movie.
2: It would be a great title for a movie. People <laughs> wouldn't know how to say that first word once no. it was spelled out. Yeah, wow. that's true. Our yeah. yeah. rev, I'll, rev yeah. war, Joshana. Grazie. Grazie.
0: Bongiorno. <laughs> well, guys, I don't know about you, but I think that it is time to drink some whiskey. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. All right, guys. So here we are testing out some Basil Hayden's Now Basil Hayden's is a pretty high end bourbon comparatively. Like, obviously, it's not in the thousands of dollars, but you're going to be paying about forty dollars for a fifth of this stuff. It is made by the Jim Beam company. It's one of their small run bourbons, along with Baker's Booker's and Knob Creek. Uh, So we know what we're getting here. Are you guys fans of Jim Beam in general, like regular Jim Beam?
2: I don't know if I've ever had it. Yeah. It's just okay. Yeah.
0: I've tried uh, their black, Jim Beam Black, because right. apparently it won some gold medal or something. And it tasted like – it smelled and tasted like what I would expect nail polish remover to taste like. Huh. And uh, then they also have a double oak because yeah. they're chasing Woodford. And it is also very bad. So I go into this not really having a lot of respect for Jim Beam. Excellent. Um, so yeah. <laughs>
2: what was the gold medal for? I wonder.
0: Uh, tasting like nail polish oh,
2: remover Yeah.
1: hey spot on I yeah they that. they were really good at that so <laughs> here drink this nail polish <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. gold medal it has notes of hickory <laughs>
2: and leather.
0: <laughs> what are you guys actually picking up on the nose of this one question mark yeah so here's the thing about basil hayden's it is very light in color yes it's a kentucky straight which means uh, the youngest of it is two years old at least um, but it is very light. It's only 80 proof, and it does not give off much of an aroma. No, like, I don't, I don't even so. pick up much of the alcohol off of this. It smells like nothing. What's the proof? 80. Huh. So, I mean, you know, it's a lower-proof
1: bourbon, um, but it should still have something coming off of it.
2: I think so. Lower yeah.
1: proof, lower quality. Yeah, let's get to the taste. All right. Jordan, what are you thinking about the taste there?
2: I... I guess my comment would be similar to the nose. I don't know what I really taste. I don't know if I really taste anything. Uh, I know what I, what the sensations are, mm-hmm. but I'm having a hard time trying to figure it yeah, out.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what. My first sip, it, it doesn't taste like anything. It tastes like alcohol, and it has a slight burn, and then it's gone yep. on the finish. As I get further down in the glass, I've noticed it gets a lot sweeter. I'm picking up a lot of brown sugar, hmm. and like a, it's almost like a pecan pie. So, like, I don't know what you'd call that. <laughs> smells smells and tastes like caro syrup and, <laughs> yeah. and pecans. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's very sweet after a while. But it it took me three or four sips of this to really start to pick up a lot of flavor on it. Very mild. Yes. I think if you wanted to be nice to it, we would say it's a very mild bourbon.
2: Yeah.
1: What
0: do you guys think about the finish on this one?
1: It kind of burns and then disappears. Mm-hmm. Which might be a good thing, seeing as it doesn't taste good to begin yeah.
0: with. Yeah. The finish leaves... A way more bitter taste in my mouth than the others that we've tried this month yeah. have.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I would actually agree with that. It feels like at the top of my mouth, I just kind of have this lingering sensation of meh. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually that really a really feel harsh feel. review. That's how <laughs> you really
2: feel, Brad. All um, right, so
0: let's uh, let's score this out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I gave it a one on the nose, which sure. is I don't know if I'll ever give anything a zero. Like if it if it exists, if I if think it, it needs it, a one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I gave it a one as well. I started at a two, but the more that I... Meh. Same. It, it probably took
0: five to six minutes of sitting out for me to even detect notes of anything on yeah. it. So yeah, I gave it a one. On the taste, where are you guys at? 1.5. I gave it a two. Oh my gosh. I don't think I'd give it that low. I would probably give it a four or a five. Okay. Um, like I said, it didn't taste like much to begin with, sure. but as I sip on it, it's definitely sweeter Um, It's more enjoyable as I go, but I wouldn't go above a five for sure. Sure. Finish. Sounds like Brad's uh, notes of meh are not really (laughs) looking optimistic.
2: I gave it a three just because it's not. I I like a smooth finish. This one still has one, even Mm -hmm. though it disappears pretty quickly. So I'm pretty satisfied with that. um, But I still gave it like a three. Three. Brad? One.
0: One. (laughs) I give the finish a five. Um, I think it's very average. Sure. Um, and then overall balance, I don't think I can really give this more than a four. Sure. I don't know what you guys put down, but <laughs> Brad gave it a one. I'm very extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In my dislike of okay. things. I so, gave it a one.
2: Jordan? I gave it like a two or a three. Okay. I don't know. Nothing spectacular. Let's
0: let's score them out. So I am going to be at a 15 overall for Basil Hayden's. Brad, you are at a? 4.5. Four and a half. Wow. Okay. That's Jordan?
2: Right in the middle at an eight
0: eight. So we're at 27 and a half, which puts us at about a, an average of nine out of 40 for this. Bob, you really uh, screwed the curve here. I'll tell you what, guys. Yeah, I really did. It would have been even worse. So you're welcome, Jim Beam company. <laughs> guys, this, this goes a long way to telling you that just because a bottle of bourbon costs $40 doesn't mean that it's good bourbon. No. Sure. You Not know. At all. And and I'm sure there are people out there that really love their Basil Haydens. It's a really mild bourbon. Um, but a lot of it is that you're paying for the bottle, you're paying for the marketing and the advertising and the name basil Haydens.
1: Yeah.
0: I if I had to rank the ones that we've drank this month, I would definitely put the Evan Williams above this and I would put this on par with or below um the very old
1: Barton. I would put this below all four. You'd Uh, put
0: this below Benchmark?
1: Yeah. Is it because of the price point? Because of the price point. If it was a blind taste, though, like what would you? Uh, If it was a blind taste with no price attached, I'd put it equal. Equal to Benchmark? Yeah. It's a well well bourbon. It does taste like a well bourbon. Yeah. It's not something that I would ever pay more than $10 for. Wow. Jordan, where are you at with it?
2: Uh, I've only had one other, but I definitely liked it a lot less than... What did we have when we did... Oh, I think you were Joel here Banger for Man. the
0: Very Old Barton.
2: Yeah, I love the Very Old Barton. Compared to this. Yeah, especially compared to this. Both sound like Scooby-Doo villains, but Very Old Barton is way better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so there you have it. Basil Hayden coming in with the lowest score we've given yet.
1: Wah, wah. Save your $40,
0: guys. All right, let's 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 get back to talking about Inglorious Bastards. What do you guys say? Excellent.
1: let's do it.
0: All right, so back to the movie here. Mm. Guys, I feel like we are just being negative Nancys today here. We When there's a lot in this movie to love. There is a lot in this movie to love. And there wasn't as much in the bourbon to love. No. But there's a lot in this movie to love. Particularly, I think, some of the dialogue. Quentin Tarantino is always going to be known for his dialogue. Right. But he was doing some really interesting things. In the very first scene with Hans Landa, he talked about, they didn't bring me down off my mountains in the Alps or in Austria to come do this. Right. And then the very next scene... Brad Pitt says, I came down out of the Smoky Mountains to do this. And yeah, so you've got this, he's already setting them up like as foils to each other, right. which I thought was a really cool way of doing that. Totally. Did any other lines
1: of dialogue stand out to you? I don't know if it was maybe lines of dialogue, but the way uh, Lieutenant Lando uses physical touch mm-hmm. is so powerful. When he when he um grabs the girl's hand at the start with La Petite's daughter. Sure. When she's going to get wine and he grabs her hand. It's such like a uh it's almost a familial type of thing to grab her hand and say, No, honey, you know, hold on. i I'd rather have something else. But the way he does it is just it's menacing. Yeah. So menacing. And I wonder if
0: that's in the script, like that, that stage yeah. of direction, or if that's just the brilliance of Christoph Waltz's performance yeah, I'm there. Question. Tarantino does this thing in this movie, though, that I don't like with the dialogue that there's a couple times where I think he's putting his words in the mouths of his characters. Oh, really? So, like, the first time you see Shoshana putting letters up on the marquee uh-huh. and she's like kind of arguing with Daniel Brühl's character and she says something like, yeah, we respect directors in our country. Yeah, like, I felt like that was Tarantino maybe giving a middle finger to like, you don't respect me enough. That's right. so interesting. And, and, that. and then at the very end of the movie. You've got Brad Pitt and B.J. Novak staring into the camera as if, you know, because they've just carved the swastika. Yes. And he says, you know what?
1: I think this just may be my masterpiece. And I'm like, (laughs) "Okay, Tarantino. Chill out. Yeah, I I I see what you're saying. I did think that about Tarantino when that line was delivered. I was like, what's really being said here? Yeah. Yeah. Although there are some great when when
0: Brad Pitt and Hans Landa come face-to-face finally, right. and Brad Pitt's just, like, cussing everybody out. And he's like, I thought we had mutual respect. And he's like, no, we don't. And they put him in the back of the truck, and Brad Pitt just shouts really loud, touch me again, Krautberger. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. I'm going to use it at it's some perfect. point in my life. Touch me again, Krautberger. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think most of Brad Pitt's lines are hilarious. I think the he's so casual- in The Killing of Nazis, yeah. which contributes to what we've critiqued, but also, I mean, it, it is humorous. You know, yeah. when he's, like, trying to get that Nazi captain to confess and he says he never will, and then he gets up and he goes, well, we're just tickled to death to hear you say that because we this is the closest thing we get to TV all, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, just, like, yeah. little things like that are, like, they're troubling, but they're also very funny. They're yeah. just funny lines. For I don't sure. know.
1: Well, they're delivered so well. Yeah. Brad Pitt just nails his character perfectly. Yeah.
0: So I want to get into some of the critical response to this movie. Okay. Um, and in our Anchorman preview episode, I talked about this guy, Ty Burr, that works for the Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love his critique of this movie. He's not a big fan of this film. He gave it two and a half out of four stars. Wow. Um, and he talks about Tarantino's mind. He calls it a fevered junk pop particle accelerator that is his brain. Wow. Moments of power and banality, meaning and absurdity all collide into each other. And he creates movie mashups that are as brilliant as they are pointless. Yeah. And I kind of have to agree with him. He goes on to say that this movie is like hyperactive. And he says the hyperactivity, it makes everything bearable, but it also keeps it from connecting. Right. I think that's part of my issue with this movie. It's so episodic. I don't know if you guys uh, watch Netflix a lot, but the Coen brothers just released a movie on Netflix, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this is Tarantino's Buster Scruggs. Like the chapters, they all tell one overarching story, but I don't feel like they connect to each other in a way that a narrative should. Right. They, they definitely confine characters to certain chapters and you're going back and forth between the bastards and Shoshana's story. And I agree that it just doesn't all land for me.
1: Yeah. Are, are you talking about the movie Goodfellas or Glorious <laughs> Bastards? You
0: know what? Everything that you said about Goodfellas, I think you can also apply to this movie, though. Yeah,
2: I think that's fair because it does at times because they don't always interact with each other. Like, I don't think Sh- Shoshana ever interacts with the bastards at all. Mm-hmm. Not that I can no. think of. They almost feel like they're cameos in each other's stories, uh, which the Ballad of Buster Scrubs does the same thing. They kind of allude to each other's stories, but they're never necessarily all together. Yes. Uh, And so each chapter with time differences or with character difference, they do feel like different stories interweaving. And when you see them on the same screen, you kind of are like, oh, look, they're on the same screen. How weird. And I wonder if it
0: would have been better to do it like an anthology or more like mm -hmm. a Pulp Fiction where, Mm -hmm. you know, that whole middle section with Bruce Willis, it's kind of related because you have characters that come in and out. But would it have been better to just show the entire Bastard story and then show the entire Shoshana story as separate thing, even if the endings are the same? You get two different perspectives on that. I
1: just – I don't know if going back and forth between them really works. Well, I think the thing that could have made it work – because I think it's interesting. We're always interested in the whole universe. Right. You know what I mean? And and in a lot of ways, because we've seen so many movies about World War II in general – Even just seeing somebody about like, you know, Heinrich Himmler or these different characters were like, oh, I I have background knowledge on these people. I think it's it's okay to have two separate stories, the story of Shoshana, the story of the bastards interconnected, almost like you said, cameos just make the inglorious bastards part of the story more interesting.
0: And that's the thing is the cutting back and forth doesn't work because the narratives are not connecting on the same emotional level. Right. Do you know what I mean? If if the bastard story was as compelling, it wouldn't matter. Like we would be on board for it. But because they're underdeveloped and they're underutilized, it seems like he's holding up the real story whenever we go back to visit with them.
1: Right. Because, yeah, because you get that entire opening scene with La Petite and you you emotionally are drawn to Shoshana. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you see of the bastards is Brad Pitt talking about killing Nazis. Right, right because they want to. And and the only emotional connection, and I don't know, maybe this is saying something about us, the only emotional connection you have with the bastards is the fact that they're all Jewish, and we all know about the Holocaust. Yeah, sure. So maybe Tarantino is just assuming that that's all the backstory we need to be emotionally connected yeah, with. Yeah, and I do appreciate that he
0: he starts them out in completely different places, and you know that as we go back and forth, like they're going to come to a head, and they're going to collide with each other at some point. And even like in, I think it's chapter four, the uh, the bar scene, mm-hmm. like you see Londa come in at the end of that. And you're like, okay, he's on their trail now. You know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for me, there's something about the payoff that doesn't quite connect. It doesn't hit home. No, I agree. And Ty Burr actually agreed. He said, on a scene-by-scene basis, Inglorious Bastards is, is prime, if well-worn, Tarantino. The hard-boiled men and women, the tense, smart dialogue scenes that go on forever, the spurts of violence that erupt, to wipe the board clean so that the whole cycle can start again. But he also said it was Tarantino's weakest film yet because he's been playing so close to the fire with his subject matter and he says he feels like he was afraid to get burned. Hmm. Which I don't know if I'd agree with that last part. I don't think so I don't think he was holding back. In fact, I think that he he probably could have used a little bit more restraint, uh, if anything.
2: Yeah, I think he jumps in. I think he jumps in and I don't know if he got burned or if he feel like feels like he accomplished his goal, but I definitely think he was in the middle of the, of that. Maybe if it had been more explicitly about the Holocaust as opposed to the Third Reich, it might feel like he really jumped into the fire, mm-hmm. but I don't think he helped. I don't know what he could have held back. Yeah. That's what I, I guess yeah. that would be more. And movies like
0: this to me are, are the most interesting movies of all because you can see the greatness in them. Yes. And it's just so frustrating to see how they turned out kind of mediocre. Yeah. And I think there's so much to love in this movie and we were even talking you know, during our break about we had kind of paused the movie before chapter five and said, oh, this wasn't as bad as I remembered it being and then chapter five happens and I feel like his third act, the whole movie apart. falls apart. You have to be able to kind of bring that home and, and land the plane and Tarantino doesn't do it and I think it's because he wrote himself into a corner. He killed off all the characters we liked <laughs> or the we were rooting for. Yeah. And then, you know, Shoshana is kind of coming back from the dead to exact her vengeance, right. you know, with her sort of like otherworldly ghost yeah. laughing. Um, I think that if I had to give this movie a score, I'd probably have to give it a six out of ten. Mm. It is not my favorite Tarantino. I think it's competently made. And I think that the good probably outweighs the bad, but that it really falls apart. In the third act for me.
2: Yeah. I think it's stunning. I think it has some scenes that people will be able to study for the rest of their life and see how good they are. The subject matter, and this maybe just just displays my personality, but the subject matter and the way it's handled really affects the way that I look at it. Mm. I would not watch it again by choice. Yeah. And so I'd give it like a 4.5. Wow. Yeah. I...
1: The scenes with Shoshana and... Lieutenant Landa Uh dragged the film up into one of the best films I've seen. I I really love this movie. Wow, Brad. Um, I, I do struggle with all the things that we talked about with how the bastards don't really matter. Um but despite the fact that the bastards don't really matter, I still appreciate Brad Pitt's performance like we talked sure. about. Yeah. He, he is so perfect for what he was written to do. Now, we can debate whether what he was written to do was important at all or sure. should have been in the film, but he was great at it. So overall, I look at it and at the bar scene. I loved the bar scene. Mm. That truly was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, how it just kept going and going and going. And you think you're going to get relief and you think they're going to escape at least four separate times. And then you keep getting dragged back into, oh, no, they're all, they're going to get caught. They're going to get caught. And then in the end, they do get caught and the rubber band snaps and and the tension is all just floods into the room. Yeah. And I just, I would probably give it about an eight. An eight out of seven. Eight to eight and a half maybe, but I'd stick it an eight. Yeah. I, that. I do think there's a lot to love in this movie.
0: Yeah. I think the Tarantino bit off more than he can chew. And, you know, I said I was going to compare it to Django. What he did with Django, and we'll get to it at some point. Right. He doesn't end slavery in Django Unchained. Right. And part of my problem with this movie is that he literally course corrects history. He has this alternative history, which you can totally do. That's fine. Um, but to be able to change what has happened to Jewish people in this world, I understand the impetus. I understand you want to have that vindication and that catharsis that comes with vengeance and eradicating the Nazis. But it kind of minimizes what they've been through Hmm. in my mind to to act like it didn't happen or or to erase it and rewrite the ending. It doesn't do a service to the reality. I don't think he's rewriting the ending, though. I mean, I'm pretty sure Hitler didn't die in a movie theater in
1: Paris in 1944. I don't think he's rewriting the ending of the Holocaust, though. I don't think that in the world of Inglorious Bastards, the Holocaust didn't happen. Well, sure. But I mean, mean? it ended a year early. You know, I'm just saying like... But but what I'm saying is it still happened. And Tarantino, the alternate ending doesn't change the suffering of the Jews. It doesn't change the reality of what happened. I think... That, if anything, the end of the film, when you look at Lieutenant Aldo Rain, Brad Pitt's character, his whole goal is to make sure that nobody forgets yeah. the evil atrocities that was Nazi Germany, sure. the Third Reich. And so I, I don't know if I would say at all that his goal was to rewrite history. I Obviously, Hitler didn't die in a theater in Paris. I'm not trying to say that it, that sure. didn't happen. but. Or that that did happen. But what I'm saying is I, I still think Tarantino is trying. I think he is trying to perpetuate the fact yeah. that the Third Reich was pure evil. And the very final scene of the movie is Aldo Rain making sure that no one forgets hmm. who Lieutenant Landa truly is. Yeah, I see that. So you feel like he accomplished his goal? I, yeah. Tarantino's goal? I, I would say so. Yeah, sure. So there you have it, guys. We uh, are very split on this yeah. movie. Yeah. We've got
0: one four Which and a half. honestly
1: would probably make Tarantino very happy. I think that he would be proud. Yes, I agree. No, I actually, he would be much happier if like we each pulled out a pistol right now and had a Mexican, Mexican standoff. standoff. Yep. till yep. we killed each other. And it lasted for it to happen. It'd have to be 25 minutes yeah. long. At sure. minimum. Yeah. So
0: let us know what you think. All right. Get on Twitter. I still can't decide if it's tweet at us. Tweet, tweet at to us. us. do something with tweeting tweet us tweet tweet (laughs) tweet us at film whiskey or better yet call our call in line at 216-800-5923 once again that's 216-800-5923 for the film and whiskey podcast i'm bob book i'm brad g and i'm jordan we'll see you guys next time